listeners, I'm Emily Williams, and this is Understand South Carolina, a weekly news podcast by The Post and Courier. We draw from the reporting resources and knowledge in our newsroom to help you better understand our state. Today, we're going to be talking with arts and entertainment reporter Kaylin Oyer about how South Carolina's music scene has been changed by the coronavirus pandemic. But first, I want to introduce you to a new host who's joining us today. Gavin has been a guest on Understand South Carolina before, but this is his first time asking the questions with me. So Gavin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Thanks, Emily. Yeah, I've been a big fan of the podcast since uh, it first started, so I'm happy to be able to co-host with you today. Uh, I'm originally from Sacramento, California. I moved here about two and a half years ago and started at the Post and Courier about a year now as a staff photographer. So this podcast has been really helpful for kind of learning about the state and issues in Charleston. Awesome. Well, thanks, Gavin. And like I said, we're going to be talking about all things South Carolina music today and how these times have kind of created a new normal for musicians and live music events. And I know that that both of you actually, um, Gavin included, because he was the photographer for a story about this, went to a socially distanced live music event recently. So um, let's start by talking about that. What was what was that like? Where was that? Yeah, I can talk a little more on that. Um, so we went to Firefly Distillery, and they have a new facility now um, near Park Circle in North Charleston. And they have, I think, like five or six acres out there that they just kind of have of land. Um, And they have been hosting socially distanced concerts during the coronavirus. And so they only host like 10% capacity. Everyone's spread out and they get their own like little pod, as they call them, where you're separate from everyone else and gated off from other people. And then when you go to like the main areas, you have to, you know, spread out and wear masks if you want to get food and drinks. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see, like, the way they set up their field in front of the stage. They had uh, fences to kind of section off uh, different groups. So it's kind of like your own little mini booth. Uh, you kind of have, you know, you set up like a picnic and, you know, dance you know, with your friends. And, you know, you could kind of wave to your neighbor and kind of dance along with them during the music. So it was a pretty cool, you know, uh, space for uh, like an outside venue. For sure. And um, I will say they are doing another series coming up. So they had so much success from this last one. They were like, we're going to do another one. So they have one starting in September. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask was what the feedback was, I guess, from, from you and your own experience, but also just other people in terms of did it still feel like the kind of outdoor concerts you were used to? You know, what about it felt different uh, in what might have felt just the same, you know, as being at any outdoor music event? Well, I think what was interesting about it is I felt like it was almost this VIP experience. So it's not a normal concert where you're crowded in with a bunch of people. And like when you leave to go get a beer and come back, your spot's gone. It was like, literally you set up your camp and you're there and you're staked out for the rest of the show and you can come back to that and you have like plenty of space to spread out listen to the music and you can have your own conversations with your friends and like actually hear them because <laughs> you're a little further away. Uh, so that was interesting how it's kind of created this almost new VIP experience for outdoor concerts. 
I wonder how it is for um, the artists in that in that scenario. Have you heard anything about that or had any chance to to talk to someone who's done a, a socially distanced concert like that? Yeah, I've talked to a few different people who have been kind of like experimenting with different stuff during coronavirus. So like, for example, I talked to this one musician, Chris Dodson, and he's been doing backyard concerts. And so he kind of started in his own neighborhood and just played music from his backyard. And people would gather like in their small groups, like around along the sidewalk and across the street and just watch and listen. And so that was one of the first people who I remember talking to who kind of was like, we need to do something because I still want to play music right now. Um, so this is my solution for it. But I think other people are, are picking up on it a little bit. There's obviously, you know, since most of the indoor venues are closed, it's, it's harder because there's not as many spaces that are hosting these types of events. So it's a little limited as far as that. So some of these changes that have uh, kind of been happening, Kaylin, I guess, you know, do you think this is, you know, the, you know, setting more outside, outside live music shows? Do you think this is something that will continue, you know, after the viruses uh, or the pandemic is over? Do you think, you know, more places like Firefly and musicians will kind of create their own kind of venues? I think so. I mean, already, like, there has been a technical lift of the ban by the governor. So venues are allowed to be open right now, technically, and just hosting either 50% capacity or up to 250 people, whichever is less. So... There is that happening, but none of these venues are actually opening because they don't know how to go about that. They still don't have like safety regulations or guidelines or figured out exactly how to do that properly. So, you know, I think that these outdoor concerts are kind of maybe going to pick up steam because it's something, you know, Fireflies already figured out. A couple of other places have figured out. So um, other spaces might follow suit. Yeah, it seems like the the VIP-like experience that you said you had, I feel like I've seen that on social media too, would we see pictures of uh, these distanced outdoor concerts and other places, people commenting, like, this actually looks like the outdoor concert of my dreams. Like, I don't have to be packed in with, with other people. It seems like that might be something that uh, could last beyond this time, right? If people realize that's actually what they... Enjoy. I think so, for sure. I think people are like, this is what I've wanted all along, but haven't been able to get. And now people are thinking outside of the box and saying, hey, we can give you this kind of experience and we can still make money off of this show. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, the difference in revenue, though, between, you know, packing out this full space with thousands of people and then only having, you know, a hundred or a couple hundred attend. So there is that. So for that event specifically, what price point are we talking? Are you also paying a little bit more than you would, you know, for say one of those events where you're um, standing room only, uh, packed a little closer to the stage? Is there a price difference? Yes, there is. So each of these pods that you could get at Firefly, which holds up to four people, um, were $100. So, I mean, you know, $25 ticket, for a show, but you're not seeing a touring act, you know, you're seeing a local band, which typically those price points are going to be, you know, a little lower than that. Um, 
But again, you get kind of a lot of perks for, you know, if you're splitting up the ticket price, it's only 25 bucks each. So it's really not a significant jump in price there. So you mentioned McMaster lifting the, the, the ban that didn't allow music venues to be open for several months, uh, but there are some local rules too, right? So do we have some in, in Charleston? I guess, what are some of the local rules on top of those statewide regulations um, that are dictating when and how live music events can happen right now? Yeah, so in Charleston right now, there's also like um, a time ban. So like music has to stop by 9 p.m. right now, which is, uh, you know, significant because a lot of concerts start at 9 p.m. So that's getting those musicians, you know, out of restaurants and bars where they are still playing right now, um, you know, before, you know, the the late night crowd, I guess, to, to, to alleviate that late night crowd, I think. I know for me, going to like a lot of shows at Royal, I would kind of arrive there at um, 9 p.m. and kind of stay and the shows wouldn't be over until around midnight. So, yeah, that's a little difficult. Is there any like chance of venues kind of starting shows earlier to kind of be able to finish by the 9 p.m. curfew? Yes. So from what I've heard, musicians are starting earlier. Like some that I've talked to are like, you know, usually we'd go in and play from nine to 12. Now we're going in and playing from five to nine. So they are adjusting to that uh, time frame. I'm curious, what's the last concert that you went to before all of this? Um, I think we all have those right before coronavirus memories that we didn't realize were going to be important. You know, your last normal night out at a bar, your last meal out. Um, I'm sure for you, the last concert was was important. So what, what was that last show? Yeah, my last show was actually, Gavin mentioned it, but Royal, it was at Royal American. And um, it was a couple local bands, John Bias, who's kind of one of my favorite local bands actually. And then the Orange Doors were playing. And it's so weird looking back on that now because it's like that was just a normal night for me. Typically, I, you know, was going to Royal American, you know, once a week at least (laughs) just because I love live music. And so it just seemed like a normal night. But I feel like that's kind of right before everything started unfolding and people were just hearing about the virus spreading over here. And um, yeah, things obviously (laughs) didn't continue as they were that night. What are some of the things that you're missing about that? You know, like you said, there are still some opportunities to see live music right now, but it has changed. What are some things that you and also other other people, other music fans and, and musicians, uh, what are you missing right now? I think what I know what I'm missing, but I think what other people are missing, too, is the, the, the atmosphere, the crowd. I mean, you know, when you go see a show, there's usually a sea of people, standing room venue, you're like pressed against each other, you're all sweaty and gross and singing the lyrics together to, you know, one of your favorite songs. And it's just kind of that community um, atmosphere. And I think a lot of people are missing that right now, because even if you do go to one of these other shows, you're not 
you know, right next to anyone. You're not in a crowd. You're not dancing necessarily. You might be like at a table sitting, you know, while you're eating, or you might be, you know, spread out in one of these pods where you can't really interact with a lot of other people other than your, you know, immediate crew. So I think that's the biggest change. And just, you know, like meeting strangers who you bond with over, you know, this music, your band that you love. I mean, I miss, I miss that a lot. <laughs> so if, uh, uh, you know, uh, inside, if a venue were to have a show inside, do you think people would, you know, go like buy tickets like quickly? Or do you think there'd be a little hesitation on people to go see a show uh, inside now? I think that's a tricky question because like, you know, when I talked to John Kenny, who owns the Royal American, he was telling me we're not going to be hosting any shows anytime soon because if we do, we're standing room space. People are going to crowd around the stage and there's no way to really control that. So I think there are the people who would do that. Like they would just go for it because they, you know, are the same people who might not be, you know, adhering to some of the masks rules around town but then for other venues like the charleston music hall who's like going through these these safety regulations and figuring that out i think you know if they came up with something that seemed safe and made sense people would go for it they'd be like sure if you know if i'm wearing a mask and spaced out a few rows between people maybe i will do an indoor show so i think it just kind of depends on how that all unfolds so one of the things that people are doing right is virtual shows and i'm curious if you have attended any virtual uh concerts and do you know if any people are able to make some money off of that obviously it's a very different model than doing um, live shows in person Um, but what do you know about about that about virtual shows and um i guess more specifically if you know if anyone locally uh is doing that and and has been successful with it. Unfortunately, I don't think there are a lot of local musicians I've talked to who have been successful with the model. I think most of the locals I've talked to have said, we're not making money from this, but we're just doing it because we have to, like we feel like we have to keep creating music and sharing it with people, which, you know, it serves that purpose really well. But as far as actually making money, I think at the very beginning of this whole thing, people were tipping more freely, um, buying more merch because they were trying to really support these musicians. And they were thinking, oh, you know, if they have to go a month without touring, you know, we'll help them out and and give them some extra cash. And now that it's been, you know, five, six months, uh, those people who were tipping and giving money at the beginning, they don't have money either right now, you know? So I think that it, you know, I don't think it's really a tangible way to to at least make the amount of money that musicians were making from gigs and touring. Like maybe you can make a little bit. Um, Susto, for example, a local band, they worked with, um, forgot exactly what platform it was, but a specific platform online where you have to go and buy tickets to these virtual shows to be able to attend it all. And I think they had some success with that because, you know, that's like an actual feasible price and not just you know, expecting tips. Um, so I think they had a little bit of success with that, but they're also one of the bigger bands out of Charleston. These smaller acts aren't necessarily um, getting that same response. Have you seen or heard about bands, I guess, locally, you know, looking outside of uh, performing like through merch or, you know, 
selling vinyls, trying to, you know, make money that way? Or are there any like creative ways bands have been trying to, you know, uh, stay around? I think merch is a big one. Bands are like, please buy my merch, like coming out with new t-shirts and stickers and, you know, vinyl, that kind of stuff. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think locally. I know, um, so there is a local band called Doom Flamingo and they have this really interesting local following and they started selling like jean jackets where they would do like stitching of their like design on the back and then put them up for auction and then fans were like bidding against each other and these things were going for like hundreds of dollars so that was kind of interesting and different uh, that i saw so we also wanted to ask about the save our stages act i know that was something that you wrote about recently and it's something that music venues and also artists uh, are kind of rallying behind. Can you describe what that is? What does that entail? Yes. So this is an act that um, kind of loops in with small business style type acts that have been pushed in Congress recently that are going to give um, funds to those smaller businesses that can't stay afloat right now. And so this, the Save Our Stages Act specifically is for local music or smaller independently owned music venues. Um, and it would be a specific uh, amount of money. I think it, it comes down to a percentage of what their typical revenue is that they would end up getting from this grant ultimately. And um, it would hopefully help keep some some lights on later on because already i've seen not here locally but in other states nearby in the south there's been some music venues that have closed they're done like they're completely like we can't stay afloat we can't afford rent during this time we're closing our doors for good and that's really sad when that's happening to local spaces um so i think locally here the poor house has been a big proponent of that act and um also, the Gilliard Center has, has been behind that as well. I know that in one of your stories recently, you had some comments from the Charleston Music Hall in terms of uh, looking to the rest of, of this year. And essentially, it was saying that they didn't expect a national touring act until 2021. Um, I guess, can you speak to that a little bit? What's the what's the outlook from these venues? Do they expect things to change at any point this year? Or is that true for most of them? You know, that they're saying not until 2021 or maybe not until a vaccine. What are you hearing overall? I think both of those things, not until 2021 or not until a vaccine, I think most music venues are in agreement with that right now, especially when it comes to touring acts. Because, I mean, even though these South Carolina venues are allowed to open right now, they can't book any acts because nobody's touring right now. So who are they going to host on their stages and sell tickets for? There's very few bands that are actually, you know, going on tour. So that's a, an interesting issue. And I think the, the vaccine idea, I don't know if that's perfect either because there's not necessarily a guarantee that everyone who comes to a show is going to have that vaccine um is there going to be some kind of way to to prove that or you know to 
to show that so you get entry I'm not sure so I think I think right now venues are still in such the stages of how do we pivot how do we make this possible at all that they they just need a lot of time to be able to do that so that's why they're like not for a while we need to figure it out (laughs) we need to come up with some solutions here I'm also just curious what you're hearing from musicians and how they're getting through this time, you know? So of course we've talked about um, what are some other ways that they're trying to bring in some some revenue right now, but it, it just all of those things, it sounds like, well, that still doesn't add up to enough, you know, compared to what they're uh, used to and what, um, they would typically be able to do, you know, to support themselves. So just what are you hearing from, from musicians right now? Yeah, I think, I think it's really hard on musicians right now. Um, A lot of local musicians anyways, already had other jobs to support, you know, themselves while they're doing music on the side. I think that's the majority of musicians, but also when food and bev jobs were down that, that, employs a lot of the music industry so it was like wow all of our revenue all of our income has been completely cut so um i think it's been people getting on unemployment i think that's been a big thing and now with you know the extra unemployment benefits gone musicians are like all right do i have to go play shows in bars now even though i might not feel comfortable there but I need to make money somehow. I need to make extra money on top of this unemployment I'm getting. Um, so it, it's kind of musicians are in a sticky place. Like I talked to um, Dylan Swenson. Uh, he actually was releasing an album at the exact time that the coronavirus happened. So his whole tour he had planned got canceled. Um, and he recently was one of the musicians to be on the Performing Arts Center in North Charleston. They're doing this um, program where they have local musicians come and play on their stages. And so he did that recently. But he, his mom has um, some kind of medical issue. I, I think it was a heart issue. Um, and so he doesn't feel comfortable going out and playing at bars and restaurants. He's like, I don't want to bring that to my mom. You know, I don't think that's even, you know, viable at all for me right now. So then there's some people who are put in that position where you really can't. And then there's some musicians who are you know, they're getting their regular bar gigs again, and that's actually, you know, helping them stay afloat right now. So it just kind of depends on each musician, what they're comfortable with, what they can do. Um, But yeah, I don't think anyone's making the same amount of money that they were before this, unfortunately. And are, you know, bands and artists, are they still working on music during this time? Or you know, because, you know, during this pandemic, a lot of us have had to stay at home, you know, have they been, you know, busy, you know, crafting new albums or, you know, just playing a lot or what's been their kind of approach to music? Yeah, I think there's a lot of musicians who have been working on albums right now. And that's really exciting. It's a creative time for a lot of people, you know, and you're stuck inside for hours on end and don't have much else to do. Why not create some music? So I think that's been the mindset of a lot of local musicians too, which is cool. And I don't think we're going to see that music necessarily yet for a little longer. I think most of the songs that have come out during the coronavirus were already planned, were already like recorded beforehand. 
um, and just were part of, you know, releases that were supposed to come out this time anyways, or maybe we're supposed to come out in March and then they delayed it. And now they're like, well, <laughs> it's not going to get much better. So we might as well release our music now. Um, so, but I think, I think it is a creative time for people. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of albums we get, you know, the end of this year, or the beginning of next year will be something to look for. And you recently wrote an article on the 20 albums released uh, by SE artists during the coronavirus. I guess, what did you find about the music release? You know, the themes, you know, you know, any kind of difference between, you know, now and then pre-COVID? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, like I said, a lot of those releases were already planned. So I haven't seen a ton of songs that I was like, this is definitely formed from COVID and has a specific theme about that. But there have been, which I've, I've found really cool, some like immediate releases of singles um, kind of in response to the uh, protests here and the Black Lives Matter movement. So I think we've gotten some local songs that have addressed that and people were like, we want to get this out right now, um, right away. So there's been like Seth G, for instance, he organized a group of, I think it was almost 20 musicians locally and they each played a part in a song and it was all about unity coming together and making a change here in Charleston. And I think that's art in general. People are always, you know, looking to it as, or using it as a way to make a statement about what we can do better, how we can change and, you know, who we want to be as a society or as individuals. So to wrap up this episode, we wanted uh, to let Kaylin introduce a few songs uh, that she's enjoyed during the pandemic. So this is music uh, from South Carolina artists that was released during the pandemic, so during the last several months. Um, and we're just going to pick a few of those. And uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about the artists and how they're doing during COVID, if we know. and uh, just where you can find more of their music. So what's our first song? So the first track that I chose is Armchair by Dear Blanca, and they're actually a band based out of Columbia. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands. Uh, they have been for a while, even when I was in college at USC. Um, back in the day, they were, they were playing in Columbia. So they came out with an album during the coronavirus uh, called Perched that you can stream by on Bandcamp. Um, and as far as I know, they're doing pretty good during the coronavirus, as good as anyone can be. <laughs> but they are writing some new music right now, so that's exciting. They just came out with new music, but they're already writing new music. Um, and this was one of my favorite songs from their new album. So the next song that I chose to play is called I'm Going Back by a band called Baby Yaga, and they are based right here in Charleston, and they're one of my favorite projects, a woman-led band. I love it. Um, and this song really stood out to me on their new album. It actually has cowbell in it, 
and it works, weirdly enough. <laughs> so I have to check it out. And then the, the last song that I chose is by an artist called Sunray, who's kind of new to the, to the local music scene. And she came out with this really cool R&B meets pop album that she's been working on for a while. And the song I chose from her album, Lavender, is called DMT, which stands for Dance Movement Therapy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for those picks and also just for being on the show today. And what is the best way that listeners can get in touch with you if they have questions about all things music and entertainment um, or have story ideas for you? We always like those. Yeah, for sure. If you have anything arts and entertainment related that you think I should write about, send it my way. My email is k-o-y-e-r at postandcourier.com and you can also follow me on instagram at at between the sound machine or on twitter at sound waves and that's sound underscore waves with two v's because i like to make things complicated (laughs) awesome and thanks kevin for co-hosting today did you have fun oh yeah it was great to be on Thanks, Gavin. I hope I did okay. I hope everyone enjoys it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Well, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for this podcast, you'd find us on Twitter at Understand South Carolina. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of the show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com. If you're a fan of the show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week.